So uh, before I got married, when I so I was living on my own, when I would go grocery shopping, this was kind of in college and after college, I my method was kind of no method. I would go to the grocery store with no list, no plan, just kind of like, hey, I'm shopping for the week, what sounds good? Oftentimes I would buy the same things I bought the week before, either because of cost or because I liked it. But I would go to the grocery store and just wander the aisles and go, oh, that looks good, and oh, that looks good. And so I would end up with the stuff for brownies and ice cream and vanilla sandwich cookies and spaghetti and peanut butter and jelly, and I'd have some bananas. But I really had no plan. I just kind of walk in and just do whatever sounded good. Sometimes I had to take an extra trip later in the week because I ran out of food or whatever the case was. And then I met my wife. And we actually, um, we, when I went shopping with her for the first time, she had like a paper with like a list on it. And I was like, this is really unusual. What is she doing? And so we, would, we went specifically to the things that were on the list. And it was really surprising for me because my normal method was so haphazard. But we would go in and we got everything that we needed, we followed the plan, and then we went home. And that was like a whole new kind of shopping experience, to have a plan rather than to be haphazard. And I was thinking of that because sometimes, maybe even often, my prayer life ends up more like my old grocery shopping habits. I end up when I sit down to pray for myself, or for my wife, for my kids, for my neighbors, for our church, it can be really haphazard. I'm like, oh, I forgot I'm supposed to pray for so-and-so that I realize so-and-so is going on. I can, my prayer life can be really kind of haphazard, and I can come to God and be like, what do I pray for this friend who's hurting? What do I pray for this? And so then I'm just kind of like left going, and I hope I'm covering all my bases. I hope I'm praying the right kind of thing for this person or for this situation or for this group. I don't know, if you're, if you're like me, maybe that's kind of your prayer life. Maybe actually instead you're actually the person who has a list and you pray through your list, but you wonder, am I praying for the right things? Is there something else I could be praying for? Today we're going to be looking at a passage that, talk, that tells us how do we pray for other Christians? How do we know we're actually praying God's will for other Christians? How can we be confident that whether we know this, the details of their situation or not, we can be praying powerful prayers that God loves to answer for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 where we're going to be looking at that, the answer to that question. How do I pray for other Christians? Ephesians chapter 1. We've been going slowly mainly because it was a big, long sentence with lots of good stuff in it. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23, that talks about how Paul is praying for believers, and we can use that as a model to help us learn to pray. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help us to help us to know your will for us to pray for each other. Help us to learn truth about ourselves, Lord, so we can minister to our Christian brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage starts with, for this reason or because of this. So Ephesians 3, 1, 3 to 14 tells us, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in every way. And then walks through a list of God's blessings that we have in Christ. And so he says, because of that, because of all of the blessings that we have in Christ, I... Uh, I pray for them. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. So he's saying, because of all the blessings that we have in Christ, since I heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for his people, like this faith and love, I've heard about your, your faith and your love. And so that's one of the reasons that, I'm, that we need to actually learn from this. This is how we pray for our Christian brothers and sisters. There will be other ways that we pray for our unbelieving friends. There are other ways that we may be praying for our blocks, for extended family that do not trust in Jesus. But this is how we are praying for those with faith in the Lord Jesus and love for his people. Because of that, this is how Paul begins to pray. But notice what he says. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering in your prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of, wis the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul is praying here. He says, I keep asking God that you may have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation to know him better. This is giving us this idea, not that there are secrets that God has not told us, but that we need a deeper, richer, and fuller understanding of the plain truth that God has given us in his word. God, we need in on the inside a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better. And these truths that we see in the Bible can become richer and fuller things in our mind. There is a great danger in our world right now telling us, hey, listen to me. I have the secrets. Listen to me. This is the secret way of Christianity that nobody else is telling you. This is the secret truth that you need to hear. You've never heard this before. That should be a, uh, that should be a red flag. You've never heard this before. Should be a red flag uh, in the church. Because the, the Bible is the plain truth that God has given us. And what we need is a deeper and richer and fuller understanding of God's word. Not richer, uh, deeper secrets that we've never heard. Mysteries that we've never seen before. And so he says, I am praying for the, to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. And so this is what he's going to do. This is his prayer. I'm praying for you. I'm giving thanks for you. I'm asking for you to have a fuller understanding of God. That God may reveal a deeper understanding of who he is through his word. This plain truth that we have. And what I want you to show you today is he's right here praying and calling us to pray for each other. Pray for, for our Christian brothers and sisters to grow through a fuller understanding of God. Pray for our Christian brothers and sisters to grow through a fuller understanding of God. That God, as we begin to understand you and your character, as we begin to know you deeper and know you more intimately, God, may we grow, may my Christian brothers and sisters grow through that. May that be the secret. May that be the thing that they need, understanding you deeper and more intimately. What I want you to show you in this passage is these three prayers for us to pray uh, for one another. The three prayers to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters. The first one, verse 18 tells us, is to pray for understanding. Pray that they may understand how great a future God has for them. 
So I want you to fix in your mind a believer, maybe a spouse, could be a child, it could be somebody uh, in our church. I want you to fix them in your mind, and this passage calls us to pray for them to understand how great a, few group, a great a future God has for them. Verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The, the, I pray that they may know the hope to which he has called you. What I think one of the things we sometimes miss, and I noticed this this last August in our group chat uh, Bible study that I was doing with some of the guys is the, the oftentimes we hear a command in the Bible and go and start to feel defeated like oh can you believe I, I don't get this I don't do this really well anytime the Bible gives us a command anytime the Bible gives us an invitation uh, the, anytime there's an invitation to grow there the reason is because the opposite of that is normal don't, don't miss the fact that every time the Bible gives us a command or an invitation or points a way, uh, a way that we need to grow, we should be realizing actually the opposite of that is totally normal. In the normal way of living in the flesh, the normal mindset of an unbeliever is to not know the hope that God has called them to. This passage calls us to begin to pray for each other that we may understand how great a future God has for us, which means that the normal way that we live is we don't understand the hope that God has called us to. That's not the thing that is greatest and biggest in our minds. And so this, we have to learn to begin to pray this hope of God's calling. God, may, may the believers around me, may my, the guys in my group chat Bible study, God, may my wife, God, may my husband, God, may my kids who are believers, God, may my neighbors who are believers, God, may somebody in our church, may they know deeply in their hearts how great a future you have called them to. Because the way that we normally live is we begin, we have our own futures in our mind. And the Bible tells us that's not as great as the future that God has for us. The hope that God has for us is greater and bigger than the hope that we normally set our minds on. And so we have to begin to pray for one another that we would know the future that God has for us. We must begin to pray for each other and say, God, may so and so. May they know the great relationship that you have ahead of them with you. God, may they know how great your kingdom is going to be when your kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. God, may they know the hope that you've called them to in that. God, as you have called them to rule and reign with you one day, we see it at the end of the book of Revelation. God, may they know how great that task is. May they, not, may they not be mistaken. May their minds not be uh, lowered to lesser things. May they know the great hope that you've called them to. God, I pray for my wife that you would let her know. Let, may she know in a deeper and richer way the image of Jesus that you're forming her into. Because she is not going to naturally on her own just kind of fall into that. God, may she know how great a future you have for her as she begins to express the image of Jesus more and more and more. So the, this first prayer is for us to pray that, one, that each other would understand how great a future God has for us. Having our eyes fixed on that future. I, I'm reminded in the book of Acts how uh, the first deacon, Stephen, is uh, put on trial and then he is being stoned by the religious leaders. He's going to be stoned to death. They throw him off of a cliff, and then they begin throwing stones at him. And the book of Acts tells us that while he is there, he looks up, and he has a vision of Jesus standing at, in the throne room of the Father. 
And of course, the, the people stoning him get even angrier as he, he tells them this. But Stephen has his eyes in that moment of death fixed on the hope that he has been called to. As he has trusted in Christ, as he is being martyred for his faith, he has his eyes fixed on the Jesus in this vision that he is destined to go and to be with forever. This passage calls for us to pray that kind of understanding, that kind of vision for one another. And so the, one of the prayers that we are invited to begin praying as a church is to pray for each other to have a, a greater understanding, a greater vision of how great a future God has for us. You, so, you see, it's so easy to have our vision limited to this week, to this month, to the changes that we're going through, to the season that we're this quarantine, post-quarantine season that we're in. We can have our vision fixed on that. That is the hope that we're headed towards. Retirement is the hope that we're headed towards. A new job is the hope that our eyes are fixed on. We must begin to pray for each other that we may have a deeper understanding, a deeper vision of how great a future God has for us. Can we begin to pray that for each other? God, may my Christian brothers and sisters know how great a future you have for them. That's an awesome prayer that we can begin to pray for each other. The second prayer that we begin to, that we can pray for other believers. Verse 18 also tells us this. We can pray for an understanding of how much God values them. Pray for our uh, Christian brothers and sisters that they would understand how much God values them. Look at verse 18. The end of verse 18 says, So I pray, he said, that they may know the hope, but he says, that they may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Your translation may say, what does that mean? That they may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, in his saints. What does that mean? This, this tells us, we, I pray that you may know how incredibly valuable God's inheritance, his people are to him. He says that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance. What is that? What God, what is God's inheritance? This passage says it's his saints, that God considers his people his inheritance, and he finds them so incredibly valuable. And so this, this passage is calling us to say, can we pray for each other that we would understand how valuable God finds us? That's this Again, this is a command, this is an invitation, this is a prayer, because the opposite is normal. The opposite of this is normal, that to consider ourselves not as valuable as God considers us. To, to have our minds thinking, well, this is who I am. But this passage, I pray that you may know how valuable God thinks you are. If you have trusted in Christ, I pray that, God, that you may know how valuable God thinks you are. God thinks you're his inheritance. God thinks you're his, his great riches that he's looking forward to. So we, can we begin to pray that thing? You see, your Christian and brothers and sisters do not yet understand how much God loves them. You do not understand, if you're in Christ, you do not understand how valuable God thinks you are. I do not understand how valuable God thinks I am. Or else there would not be a prayer for that kind of understanding. You see, the people throw around this word narcissism, and it may be common, it may not be as common as we think, but this passage tells us that the normal condition of a Christian is to not understand how valuable God considers them. And so I want to pray that they would. I pray that they would understand. Can you imagine what would change in your circumstances as you face anxiety and uncertainty? You don't know what the future holds. Can you begin to imagine with me what might change if you began to realize how much God values you, 
that you're not left alone, that God doesn't think less of you, that God does not care. There is not. There is no element of God just not caring or God accepting you by default. Well, I guess I saved these people and this person can be a bonus. This passage says, I pray that you may know how valuable God thinks you are. God, I pray that you may know how valuable God thinks you are. Uh, the ESV Study Bible comments on this, this, this line and says, this indicates how precious his people are to God. They are, so to speak, what he looks forward to enjoying forever. They are, so to speak, what he looks forward to enjoying forever. Is that how you think about yourself as somebody that God looks forward to enjoying forever? Is that how your wife considers herself as somebody that God, can, God looks forward to enjoying forever? Is that how your kids your believing children think about themselves as people that God looks forward to enjoying forever? Do the other people in our church, do they think about themselves as people that God looks forward to enjoying forever? This passage invites us to begin to pray that because the normal way of living is to not realize how valuable God thinks we are. We, we do not understand how our salvation was worth the cost to God because he looks forward to us being his inheritance forever. You see, so often we just have in mind that we get benefits. We go, get to go to heaven. But the God who needs nothing, who doesn't require anything, considers us valuable. And he calls us riches. He calls us his inheritance. So will you begin to pray Will you like mark down some names of people in your life and begin to pray, God, can you give them a deeper understanding of how valuable they are to you? Will you pray that for somebody? Man, I, I think of how much could change if we had a better concept of how much God values us. The third prayer that we pray for every believer in this is to pray for an understanding of how God uses his power for us. Pray for other believers to understand how God uses his power for them. So this person that you have in mind, hey, I want to be, how can I be praying for them? This passage invites us to pray that they would understand how God uses his power for them. Verses 19 to 23 is really where that begins to be unpacked. So he said that they may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory that they may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. They, they may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. This, this, these words get piled up here. Incomparably great. It's like surpassingly great power. Lots of words to express this idea that God uses his power for his people. And one of the things that God's people need to understand is that God is using the power that made the universe, that created stars and black holes and galaxies, that made mountains, that made oceans, that put animals in them. The God uses that power for his people. And so the people in your life, you and I need to understand that God is using that power for us. God is using that power for us. Then he begins to unpack. Let's look even deeper at what that power is. That God, we, are, we need to know how, how God uses that, that power for us. He, says, he describes that power in four ways. It's the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. 
The power that God is using in your life and in the people's lives around you, the Christians' lives in our church and in your family and on your block, God is using the power that raised Jesus from the dead for them. And so right now, you might have heard bad news this week. You might have lots of anxiety and uncertainty about what the future holds for you. This power says that the, the, this passage, I'm sorry, says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is it being worked on your behalf. God is using it on your behalf. God is using it on your kid's behalf, on your spouse's behalf. God is using it on our church's behalf. And we need understanding of that. What he described, uh, the second way that he describes that power is it's the power that seated Jesus at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. The, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and that actually seated him in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. That means that Jesus, who has authority over everything, it is settled. He's using that power at the right hand of the throne of, of God for you. And for your husband, for your kids, for your friends, for your extended family, for our church. The power that seated him at the right hand of God is being used for them. The third way he describes that power is it's the, it's the same power God placed all things under his feet. That power that put all things under his feet, putting things under his feet, says this, I am in authority over these things. I control these things. They do my bidding. That power is being worked for your friends, your Christian friends, good. And the fourth way he describes that power as and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, for his body. This He gave him the authority over everything, including the church. That power that gives Jesus all of that is being worked for your advantage. You see, Christians don't understand how much God is using his power for them. And so Paul is praying that we would come to understand that. You and I are invited to begin praying that for the people in our lives, the Christians in our lives, those in our group chat Bible studies, those in the Bible studies that we've been a part of. They, they, they do not understand how God uses His power for them. And so we are invited to begin praying that for each other. Oh, may my friends, may my Christian friends come to understand that God is using His great power for them. Because the normal way of living is to think that God doesn't use his power for us. The lie of Satan is that God does not care about us and isn't doing anything on our behalf. And this passage invites us to begin to pray that we would understand how God is using his power for us. You see, we are like children when it comes to these matters. Children who don't understand how the world works. That's one of the things that I love about my young kids when they're two years old and they're four years old and they ask questions you know, some of my kids uh, have said that one of the great things about redoing a home is you begin to understand how the home works. Because when you look at a house and you hear that there are nails in the walls, you don't know where the nails go or what they hold up. And so if you pull out a nail, a small child wonders, is the wall going to fall down? You know, how, how are these things put together? You know, we were on a walk recently and one of my kids looked at an animal, a big fluffy white animal, and thought somebody took his polar bear for a walk. Because he doesn't understand how the world works, that polar bears aren't pets, that nobody walks big, fluffy, white animals. They're, they're big, fluffy, white polar bears for, for a walk. It was a dog. Because a kid looks at a world not understanding how it works, not understanding that, 
this and this and this is normal. They begin, they have eyes and look at the world with wonder and with questions. This passage tells us we do the same thing. We look at the world and we don't realize that God is using his power for us. We don't understand that God is using his incomparably great power for our advantage. And so the invitation to you and me is to pray that the Christians around us, those in our workplace, those on our street, those in our extended family, those in our immediate family, would come to understand that. That we would grow up in Christ, no longer being children, just kind of interpreting things the way that we naturally would interpret them with our best understanding. But can we grow to a fuller and deeper understanding that God is using his power for us? Will you pray that? Will you find somebody in your life and pray, God, may they have a deeper understanding that you're using your incomparably great power for them. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise them to, to new life in Christ. This passage calls us to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters to grow through a fuller understanding of God. Pray that they would understand how great a future God has. Pray that they would understand how much God values them. Pray that we would understand God is using his power for us because this is not our natural way of living. But if you are like me, I struggle to pray. I struggle to pray in a disciplined way. I wander the grocery aisle of the prayer of my prayer life, wondering what should I, what do I pray about? What's important? And I, I don't understand these things. I don't understand how great a future God has for me. I don't understand how much God values me. I don't understand that God is using His power for me. We find good news in this passage when we find that Jesus, who went away in quiet places to pray with His Father, did that as our record. So that we do not have to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters as a way of putting on righteousness. We actually come with a righteous record of prayer. Of praying the right prayers. Of being diligent in our prayer life. So that instead of this passage being a condemnation, can you pray better? We can know Jesus, the perfect prayer, prayed on our behalf and died the death that we should die. And was raised to new life so that we can have his record. But not only that. Jesus bought this future for us. Jesus bought this future for us. We have the hope of a great future because Jesus bought it. We have, we can actually know that God gave himself for us. So then we can begin to start to comprehend how much God values us because he gave his only son for us. We can actually know God's great power for us demonstrated in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us. So this passage becomes a great, great news for us. It becomes our record and it becomes an invitation to us and we begin to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to begin to pray for this kind of understanding for each other. Maybe you're listening to this and you've been listening the whole time and you're going, Joe, you keep talking about what it means to be a Christian brother and sister, what it means to believe and to trust. What are you talking about? How can I know for sure that this is for me? Or maybe you're listening to this and you're going, I want my husband to trust in Christ this way. I want my kids to trust in Christ this way. How can we share the story clear? How can we make sure that they understand this good news of God? Because we want to be able to pray this for them, since this is a prayer for Christian brothers and sisters. What is this message of Christianity that turns somebody 
into a Christian brother and sister. The story, this, this story, this invitation to become a Christian starts at the beginning of the Bible with a story in Genesis 1 that says God made the world and he made it good. And he put Adam and Eve in it. And he called them to, to subdue and to rule over the world. To fill the earth. And he gave them one rule. Expressing God who is king and his rule over Adam and Eve and all of the people after them. And Adam and Eve and every person after them said, no, we will not live your way. We will not live under your rule. We will not follow you. That's the second part of the story that tells us the, the bad things in the world come from our rejection of God, our rejection of his authority. The Bible tells us that that's called sin. And the penalty of sin is physical death and spiritual death in hell, separated from God forever. The third part of the story is that instead of leaving us with that destiny of physical and spiritual death only, Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to new life. So that everybody who trusts in Christ, I'm sorry, that's the fourth part of it, so that everybody who turns away from sin and trusts in Jesus alone to save them, can be raised to new life and can know that instead of spiritual death separated from God forever as their destiny, they can know that God has a great hope and a great future for them. They can know that God values them and looks forward to spending eternity with them, enjoying them as they enjoy Him. They, that those who repent of sin and trust in Jesus can know that God is in every circumstance using His power for our advantage. That is the story that you need to know that makes somebody from an unbeliever dead in sin to a part of the Christian brother and sister family of God. Maybe that's a story that you need to share with somebody. You need to get that clear in your mind so that you can share that with a loved one, with somebody at work. Hey, I want you to know this great good news that I have, that I have found. Let me share this with you. And then we get this invitation to pray. That our brother, Christian brothers and sisters can grow through a fuller, fuller understanding of God. Imagine what changes in the life of the person that you've had in your mind this service. Imagine what changes if they deeply come to understand how great a future God has for them. Imagine what might change in their life when they know in a deeper and fuller way how much God values them. Imagine the kind of freedom that comes from anxiety when they come to know in a deeper way that God is using his incomparably great power for their advantage and that no circumstance can separate them from his love and from his power. That sounds like liberty, like a freedom from the tyranny of anxiety. No, God has a future for me. God has great love for me. God is using his power for me, even in the middle of this mess that I find myself in. This sounds like, like freedom as we can begin to live this out. So we are invited in, in great hope and in great faith to begin to pray this for them and begin to imagine what kind of freedom might come in their lives as we pray these prayers for them. Let's pray. God, we want to know. We want to know in a deeper way what this fuller understanding looks like. We want it for ourselves. We want it for our families. We want it for our extended families. We want it for our workplaces. We want it for our blocks. We want it for our state. We want it for our country. God, we want it for the world, for people to know the great future that you have for them, how much you value them, and how you are using your incomparably great power for our advantage. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.